dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Let's face it, leading other people is never an easy proposition. There are some really dark moments. If we're honest with ourselves, there are times where we'd rather quit, stop leading, stop trying to influence others. Bad things can happen in our lives and moments can make us wonder whether it's really worth it. This is where our Christian faith can be of a special value to us. Our Lord led us through the cross and he has graced his cross to be the power and the strength of those who lead in his name. The Virgin Mary shows us this in her own life. All right, so we're on part 10 of our series of Mary, Queen of Leaders. I'm doing this series because I want to show you just how rich the Christian faith is in leadership lessons. Even the life of the Virgin Mary, who ostensibly is not well-documented in the Gospels, kind of is a figure whose importance is, of course, you know, without doubt, and yet without many citations of her presence in the New Testament. And yet, if you look at her life and understand what she did, the power of her influence and the, the influence of God through her is something that we all need to study and look at. So I'm just, I'm loving going through her life and showing just what a leader she was. And especially, I want to say this because many of you aren't in positions where you, you feel like you have a lot of authority in the outside world. You might just be in your families and you might say to yourself, oh, leadership is not for me. Well, maybe worldly leadership and their definition of leadership is not for you, but leadership in Christ is for every Christian. Every Christian exerts his influence through their life. We call it charity. We call it grace. We call it hope. We call it the Holy Spirit, of course, and he's behind all of that. But when you're talking about influence, you're talking about the power of leadership. And the study of leadership in terms of how we can allow that influence to be heightened or extended to more people is of obvious interest to everyone who's serious about evangelizing. And I want to say that that should apply to all Christians because everything that we do as a member of the body of Christ is supposed to bring the effect of Jesus more deeply into our world be that being a grandmother and making cookies, to being a father disciplining your children, to being an owner of a company employing hundreds of people. I mean, we need everybody in the, in the Christian church to wake up to the fact that our lives are no longer for ourselves. They are for the Lord. This is something St. Paul emphasizes, which means if I'm managing in my office or if I'm running a company or if I'm investing to expand production, you know, then all of what I'm trying to do, I need to be doing it for the Lord and from the Lord. And that gives my life such a purpose. I mean, what's the advantage of not leading from your faith? Why would people say, you know, I'm going to put my faith in a box over here. That's my personal life. But boy, when I'm doing my investments or I'm looking at my finances, my faith has nothing to do with that. Why would you ever let a part of your life not be set aflame by the power and the beauty and the passion of the purpose that faith gives you. 
I mean, could you imagine how different it would look like if you were going into the office today saying, I'm here to treat every one of my patients or every one of my customers like the Lord. You know what I mean? You, you wouldn't want to leave, right? You'd say, this is, the, this is why I exist on earth. Like it's so sad when I meet older folks retiring who say, now there's nothing for me. I don't know what my purpose is on life anymore. Well, you mean your purpose is to serve the Lord? What are you talking about? You served him in your company. Now you're going to serve him in your family. You're going to serve him in your prayer life. You're going to serve him in your society. The real thing is that most of us go through life running away from God into our workplace. I'd like to see you running to God in your workplace. Align your work with your faith. This will not hurt your work at all. (laughs) And it won't hurt your faith at all. It'll make your faith as real as the numbers and the pressures that are on your shoulders. And it'll allow you to cope with those pressures so much better knowing that you have the power of your faith to lean back on. So regardless if you're Matt the CFO or if you're Heather the pharmacist, it it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you go into your position armed with the knowledge that there's a deeper purpose to what you're doing. And that deeper purpose is the deepest of all purposes is to glorify God and to serve him in the world. And you know, one of the neatest blessings that comes from Christian leadership in particular is the power that our Christian faith has to carry us through hard times, right? Remember that we're following a God who died on a cross. This is not just any old death. It's the worst form of punishment the Roman Empire could give to a person. Cicero has the famous quote where he said, the cross is the highest or the maximum form of death for the lowest or the minimum form of humanity. So you give the harshest punishment to those whom you consider the least worthy of dignity. And that's the punishment that Jesus took. It was the punishment reserved for slaves who had rebelled. And not only did our Lord go through the cross, But then he allowed his mother to stand at the foot of the cross along with John the disciple and Mary, the wife of Cleophas, so that they could all witness and be a part of his own offering. Meaning there's a role for you and me in that cross as well. Because as our Lord died in front of them, they would have suffered as well. St. Francis de Sales has this wonderful analysis of Mary where he says that since Mary was united to Jesus by so strong a bond of love, everything that they did in violence to his body was done in violence to her heart. So that as they whipped him, they were whipping her heart spiritually. So it's like she was, and that of course makes sense. It would be the same with us. If we have someone that we love in the hospital, our own heart is wounded. Our spirit bears with those who suffer physically when we have a bond of love between them. And so looking at the cross, you can see that Christ wanted to share the cross spiritually what he, with all of his disciples, with you and me, therefore, as well. Isn't this what he says? He says, whoever would follow me has to take up his cross daily and follow me. Why in the world would he want us to carry his cross with us? Except that through the cross, we also share in the victory. Just as he suffered, died, was buried, and rose, so we who suffer and die with him will also rise with him. And we who rise with him will reign with him, says St. Paul. So he wants to unite us into the dynamic of the way that he glorified God the way that he proclaimed the truth of God's fatherhood over the world and the way that in order so that we can share it with him. 
And this is what it means to share the cross. Yes, it's, it's very hard. Yes, it wounds us. Yes, it feels like a kind of death. And yet on the other side of that is a deeper form of life, a life in the full that Christ came, came to bring us. And we can't let the cross stop us from looking towards the glory of that resurrection that's laid up for us. In fact, it's like it says in Hebrews, he, des he despised the shame of the cross for the sake of the glory that's not, that was to be given to him when he rose from the dead. And that's the same for us. The cross is always going to be shameful. And it's always going to be hurtful. And yet it's always going to heal and provide us with a deeper life and a deeper glory than anything else we could ever attain on our own. And that's why Christ shares it with us. It's not to make us suffer. It's to heal us in our suffering from a deeper wound, which is the lack of the knowledge of the love that God has for us and the lack of his saving grace. And that's why I'm so inspired to see the Virgin Mary in his passion for example, at the fourth station of the cross, where Catholic tradition holds that Our Lady met our Lord as he was carrying his cross on the road to Calvary. It's a tradition that goes way back, at least to the fourth century. I'm going to tell you more about that, right? And then, but then we see Our Lady at the foot of the cross, John 19, 27, where it literally says she's there and Jesus sees her and says to her, woman, behold your son. And then saying to St. John the Apostle, behold your mother. Right? And then, of course, we're at the entombment where we know from the 14th station of the cross that Jesus is laid in the tomb. And according to our Catholic tradition, but it just also makes sense, she would have been right there. The tomb was literally 100 feet from where Calvary is. It's a short little walk to where the tomb is. We still have them to this day, both the place where he died and the tomb in which he was laid. And all of this shows us that Christ wanted to share the redeeming power of the cross with Mary who would end therefore with us, knowing that we were going to walk through the hard times of life and that we needed to know that he would be there. And so I want to look at how Mary lived those dark times in life to give us at the same time strength to continue through the dark times in our leadership and to not give up. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So leadership, of course, is something that takes all of our passion and our hearts and it has different stages, right? You, you begin with this idea and ideation you pass through the, the beautiful, you know, growth moment where you're driving forward and you're getting things done. You, you're working, collaborating and building your teams. And if things go well, well, you, you rejoice as you hit different objectives and you move forward into, well, from one victory to the next, right? That's the ideal world. And you become better and better in your leadership and it, it encompasses more of who you are. But that's not the whole picture. We also know that it comes with a price. That the price is hours and hours and years of your life. For many of you, it's your health that's affected, your psychological health, your mood. For unfortunately, some people's family lives suffer and we'd like to not see that happen, but it happens, right? And, and all of these things are on the inside just for our personal life. But then you have things, of course, that we can't control, the deaths in the family, the funerals that you couldn't be there for. Right? The financial downturns, the, the, the enemies that you make, the friendships that you've lost. 
All these things that kind of cloud our perspective with some darkness and some suffering. And if these things become bigger, we could even say we want to stop. And maybe it's time to stop. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, when you, when you stop your position of power, you stop your influence. You just change it, right? You might just be called to do that so that you can influence the world in a different way. But at the same time, for those of you who persevere, even if you choose to influence the world in a different way, anyone who makes an impact will also be impacted by the world around them. It's a painful thing, in other words, to be the tip of the spear. It's lonely at the top is one way to put it. Another way is to say it's painful in the front. It's always, there's a price to pay. And for many of us, when we start to pay that price, it's, it's a question, do I continue? Is it worth it to continue to stand for the dignity of marriage between one man and one woman when it seems like all kinds of people today are going to take issue with that? Is it worth it to invest in our young people, to try to educate the youth, to reach out to the poor, to, to stand for the dignity of life in the womb? All these things that, that maybe are, are, come with a price tag, right? And those are just in terms of social issues, in terms of your workplace, to tithe from your net every year, to invest back in the quality of the life of your workers, to try to expand your company, to be even more influential. All these things come with a price tag. And while we have to evaluate all that prudentially, in the case where you decide, I'm going to go forward with these things, where does your, where does your faith come in? How does your faith help you to cope with that price? Well, if you look at the life of the Virgin Mary, she paid a very high price to remain faithful to her motherhood over the Savior. The first spot is, of course, that I want to look at here. There's many we could examine. But I want to tell you about the fourth station of the cross. When you go to the Holy Land in Jerusalem and you take a pilgrimage there, you get to walk the actual Via Dolorosa, the, the stations of the cross, that where they actually took place. And you say, well, how do we know that they were actually in this, this place? And it's because in the third century, when Christianity was made the official religion of the Roman Empire, the mother of Constantine, the emperor, went to Jerusalem and she interviewed the people. So this would be just, you know, 200 and some years uh, after Jesus died. And she went and found the local traditions where the Christians in Jerusalem were venerating all of these holy places and she marked them. And she did research and she looked. And one of the spots that she marked were all of the stations of the cross where the Christians kept this tradition going. And, and the fourth station, it's particularly beautiful because the fourth station is where, according to this tradition, Jesus saw his mother in the crowd. So you can imagine the emotion of that moment and what that what that moment would have been was their eyes crossed and all the communication that would have gone on and from her heart to his and from his heart to hers. And in Jerusalem, it stands right next to the shrine, like literally 10 feet from the third station. The third station is where Jesus falls for the first time. And our guide explained to us that the, the tradition is that when Jesus saw his mother on the way to Calvary, he fell for the first time. The, the, the very first fall was as he lost his strength, so to speak, because of the pain of seeing his wounded mother. You could imagine she also would have fallen, right? In a sense, like the pain that would have been inside of her must have been so intense to see this and, and to, to watch her son as he carried his cross. 
doesn't that call to mind what so many of us see? I mean, we, we're real, we're human. We're in our projects and we're pushing ourselves you know, forward and we're trying to develop ourselves as professionals. And yet, of course, we're still real and human and our friends are suffering and our family is getting older and, and our children are going through such battles. And it can really be disturbing to us because here we are trying to advance in our lives and our careers, of course, and our businesses, of course, and then and simply in our own personal lives. And you see the crosses so many other people carry and you say to yourself, what can I do? Right? And well, Mary shows us the power. She wasn't called to carry the cross on the outside at that moment, but she was there. Even as she was walking her pathway, she allowed the suffering of her son to pierce her heart. And she offered him not only her presence, but also, if you notice, she never got in the way. There's never a scene, for example, where Mary takes out a frying pan <laughs> and chases away the soldier saying, get away from my son, you know. If she doesn't throw herself down and, you know, in front and say, crucify me too. No, she, she watches and she follows Jesus even as he offers himself on the cross. There's a tradition in the church that lines up Mary's life with this mother of seven sons in the book of Maccabees, where this, this mother watched her seven sons be killed in one day by an evil tyrant. And when the tyrant came to the seventh son, he allowed the, the son to go and speak to the mother, thinking that the mother would plead with him to defy God so as to save his life. And the mother whispers in his ear something to the effect of, go all the way. Give your life to God. Don't let yourself die in, the sh in shame. Follow your brothers. And she literally sends her last son to death on that day rather than to see him not fulfill God's will. And there's saints in the church who have made that parallel saying that's exactly what Mary was doing. Why was she there at the moment when Christ was suffering? And why didn't she intervene except to carry the sorrow with him and to encourage him to go all the way what an influence her presence had as she gave her motherhood to Christ even when he was rejected and disgraced and abandoned by everyone else. She stood with him. And that influence of encouragement, of, of dedication, of prayer, of compassion, and of presence, that might be the only thing that we can give to those who are suffering around us. But what good would we be if we turned our back on the truth and said somehow that your suffering was irredeemable or that what God was asking you to do was the wrong thing? We, you don't take issue with God. You encourage those around you to follow what he has put in front of them, even if it causes pain. It's, it, it's always for the good. And Jesus is with us in the pain. And we can be witnesses to that hope. This is a spot that I see as Mary accompanies her suffering son all the way to the fulfillment of God's will for him on the cross. And she lives that pain as an offering for him and with him. But he, she doesn't use the pain as an excuse to stop him. And herein, she's a great example for every one of us to witness to the fact that in Christ, our sufferings are holy. And that nothing is done outside of the hand of God. And that there is hope in all things. And even as we're afflicted with them and our hearts are heavy with them, we help them to carry the cross all the way 
to consummate the Father's will for their lives and to stand with them in support of them no matter what. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. You know, we need to look often at the fact that Mary suffered even as she led, just like Jesus suffered even as he led. I think it's important because for us, it's the same. Even as we lead, there will be suffering. And there's many people today that don't understand suffering. They run away from suffering. They think that suffering equals the main problem. And of course, that that's, that's short-sighted. Suffering is a problem. We don't, we don't look for it. We don't enjoy it. But at the same time, our faith teaches us that God has overcome it, meaning that he has sanctified it and given us grace to go through it. And that by going through it, well, we glorify him and we save souls. We, we work with him for the salvation of the world. It's such a beautiful message for us that helps us to redeem the suffering that's a part of every one of us in, in our workplaces. And we look at the life of the Virgin Mary. She also suffered and suffered immensely, even as she led. To stay faithful to Jesus at the foot of the cross meant that she would have been treated like a public sinner, like someone who has been rejected by God, like a blasphemer. That's because once you were judged in that way and sentenced to death in that way, no one should be intervening for you. No one should touch your body. You are unclean. And Mary, when she received the body of her son into her arms at the foot of the cross, which is just part of our little Catholic tradition with a small T, but definitely as she stood at the foot of the cross, she was witnessing to the world that she hadn't abandoned Christ. Regardless of the suffering that that caused her and the suffering he was going under, she was faithful to him. And by so doing, she really demonstrates to us that she is free from all the influences of the world and the judgments of the world that so many of us are so afraid of. Would you have stood at the foot of the cross if it was you, who you are today, and Jesus was crucified, rejected by society, considered a thing to be laughed at, and considered a reproach? Would you share that with him? Or would you stay, stay with everyone else in Jerusalem, running away from Jesus, away from Jesus, but safe in the womb of public opinion? And to think that Mary braved that cold water of solitude with respect to soul society and all of her friends and her relatives in order to stay faithful to a man who was condemned as a blasphemer of God, to be considered one of his disciples. I mean, Simon Peter ran away when they said, you know, you too were with him. And he said, no, I do not even know the man. That's how afraid he was of this condemnation that Mary accepted. As she stood in public, witnessing to the truth of Jesus, regardless of his rejection or the suffering it caused her. It's a, it's a moral stance, right? That's then sealed when he's lowered from the cross and then put into the tomb, where he's literally put into darkness so that the world doesn't have to look at him anymore. And Mary can't be with him physically. 
There's the shroud he's wrapped in. There's the, the tomb that he's laid in. There's the stone that seals the way. There's a seal that they put over the top of the stone. And then there's a guard posted. Five layers, five barriers between Mary and Christ. And let's face it, many of us can feel the same way. We could, we could beg for God's help and not feel his presence. We could, we could try so hard to, to do his will, but never be sure we're on the right path. We could have our friends and acquaintances turn on us and, and not be sure of the pathway that we have forward. We could look for the light, in other words, and not have it. And when that happens, we could say, well, this is obviously wrong. Either God's abandoned me or God doesn't exist. Or we could fall into any forms of despair or denial that we would like. But all of that would be different than how the Virgin Mary reacted. When we follow Mary, we see her response in the midst of all of this separation and the darkness that she's plunged into is to cling to the hope of the resurrection, to stay strong in her faith and, and, and to accept the trial of even the seeming absence of God in her life, to accept that just as Jesus was plunged in the tomb physically, so Mary would have been plunged in the tomb in her heart. But yet the tomb is not the end. The glory of the resurrection is kindled in the darkness of the cave. And in the same way the glory of, of God's truth is kindled in the heart of the one who believes in the light even when they're surrounded by darkness. It's a moral stance. That's what I, the glory of Mary. You don't see her leadership on the outside at, is as evident here. It's the leadership on the inside that I'm focused in on. This tenacity of who she was to be dedicated to the one whom she loved and who loved her and, and that she knew was her God. And then that allows her to carry through in the course that she has as being the mother of Jesus and then the mother of the church faithfully. We know this because remember when Mary Magdalene saw the angel on the morning of the resurrection, it says that she ran back in order to find Peter. And then it says this wonderful line, finding Peter with John, right? So that means what? If Peter was with John, who was John with? John 19, 28 tells us that from the moment that Jesus said, behold your mother and behold your son, that from that very hour, the disciple took Mary into his home, which means if Mary Magdalene goes to find Peter, finds Peter with John, and he, that means that Peter and John would have been with Mary. Mary had stayed faithful to the course that God had laid out for her in spite of the suffering and through the suffering in order to teach us that our suffering is precious to God and that the darkness that we walk in as leaders is not extraneous to the power and influence of our leadership. Instead, it's what makes a Christian and what allows our Christianity to bear greater influence on the world. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.